You're listening to episode 20 of the Money Owners Podcast with me, Morgan Rochard. Money Owners is a podcast for people who want to be mentally and financially crushing it. This podcast does not provide investment advice and nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued to be investment advice. If you'd like more information on Money Owners Coaching, the podcast, the homework, and everything I have to offer, visit moneyowners.com. What's happening, fellow money owners? It's another Q&A day, episode 20, and I have my uh, my parents' dog hanging out with me today, so if you hear any woofs, which, you know, she might be, <laughs> she might not do that today, but you never know. If you hear a little woof in the background, that's probably her, and um, I'm not going to edit it out because puppies are amazing. So yeah, anyways, um, I have a bunch of questions today. I'm really excited to get into some of them. Um, I hope are something that you've been thinking about quite a bit and can help apply to your specific financial situation. So one of the things I really like about Q&A is A, people get specific questions answered, which is really nice and makes me feel like I'm giving back to the community, which I love. But B, like... If your situation isn't exactly (laughs) the same situation as what's going on in the question, that doesn't mean that you can't learn anything from it, right? I think some of the times we think like, oh, well, it doesn't exactly apply to my situation, so that doesn't specifically apply to me. And that's totally not true. Take what you can from any of these answers and see how you can apply it to your specific financial situation, because I promise you there's overlap. There's always overlap when it comes to things like your relationship with money or specific situations that people are in. It might not be your specific situation, but there are things that you can do that will help you get out of whatever situation you're having issues with. And if you feel like you want a question answered, then feel free to submit it. And every five episodes, we will answer questions. All right. So with that, I will dive right in. First question, Morgan, I can't seem to get out of the habit of spending. It comes so naturally to me to just spend the money. I don't like when things are inconvenient, so I spend money on it to be more convenient, or I spend money to pass time. An example, I had time to kill between meetings, so I went to a drugstore to grab a water, but I had extra time, so I perused the aisles, and then I also bought some candy and moisturizer. I know it's a small thing, but I do stuff like this all the time, and then I spend on other things, like random stuff on Amazon or books or other things. It seems like we always need these things, but when I look around my house, I realize that we just have tons of some stuff that we simply don't use. How do I stop doing this? Thank you. (laughs) Um, I love this question. So, um, and I'm sorry in advance, I'm probably going to say that before every single question um, because I love all of the questions that people send in. (laughs) So I think one of the things that we need to address here is spending money as a way of spending your time. Um, And that really starts with your thoughts about money. So if you feel like you need to pass time, why is it that you feel like money has to come into play? And if money is coming into play while you're passing time, why is it specifically a problem? So I don't, without knowing more about this person's financial situation, I would say it probably makes sense to see how many times, let's say per week or um, per month that you're like going around doing these extra spending things, how much it's actually costing you. Because for instance, if like you are just wandering around a drugstore because you have time to pass and like it's hot outside, it's the middle of the summer and you just want some AC, right? And you go in there and you spend five bucks on, you know, a candy or whatever. And you do that once a week, right? It's not exactly breaking the bank, right? I mean, $5 a week, like it adds up for sure. 
Um, but we're not talking about huge amounts of money here. Whereas like if you're doing that every day or if when you're going into the store, it's not $5, it's more like $25 and you started to do that quite a bit. Or you just find that in general, the way that you're spending is not something that you like, then that's something to address. But if it's just like you have this guilt for whatever reason, then I would address why you have that guilt. I mean, it's okay to spend money, right? (laughs) If you like the reasons why you're spending money, if you like what you're doing, then who am I to tell you that you shouldn't be doing it? And if it's improving your situation and making you feel good about your life, then it's great. What I'm getting from this question is that she doesn't feel good about her current situation, right? Um, That she feels like it's out of control, that it's just something that she does and it feels very mindless and unintentional. Um, and there's some guilt around that and maybe some shame also and some other negative emotions that are coming with, with some of the spending. Um, and also that she looks around her house and she doesn't like what she sees, right? She sees piles of books or she sees a bunch of stuff that's not being used. Um, or it just feels like, you know, there's a little bit less purpose going into the spending. So when that's the case, I would say it's time to start addressing these things and seeing how you can do it. So how can you do it, right? So, <laughs> um, I know we talk, talk a lot about this podcast of like changing your brain about these things, and it certainly starts there. It certainly, I think, would be to assess the the why or like what the thought you're having around spending is, but when you're doing it, um, a good way to start evaluating that is to stop in the moment. So the next time you're wandering around a drugstore or you're perusing on Amazon just because you have a little extra time and you don't really necessarily know what you want to do with that time, what's the thought that you're having, right? Um, I mean, maybe the thought in your head is just like, hey, I, I'm bored or... Um, I don't know, you know, you tell me you have, you have to actually do the work on this. But I would say like, sometimes I find myself doing that where I will be between meetings and I have a little bit of extra time. Um, And I think to myself, like, it would be really nice in the middle of the summer if I can sit somewhere with AC. So I go in and I buy a coffee or a, um, a water somewhere and I sit down and then I probably do some work before I go to my next meeting. Like I definitely do that. And there's no real reason for me to do that other than like, I feel obliged to pay for where I'm sitting (laughs) so that I can pass the time. Um, But like, to me, that doesn't feel as bad as the way the person in this question is describing it. Um, To me, that's just like kind of part of the cost of doing business for me. I have meetings all over Manhattan and sometimes I end up in coffee shops and I have time to kill and I want to get some work done. And that's just the way it is. So I think like taking a step back and um, this person needs to evaluate why it is that they're having these negative um, emotions and thoughts about what they're doing. That aside, there are also some practical tips that I can give you about spending. So the first thing is if you find yourself out of control, um, have you ever thought about putting yourself on an allowance? Um, This is something that I've talked to my clients about quite a bit. Um, I actually just had a meeting last week with one of my clients and um, they really like the idea of having an allowance. Um, They like the idea of, you know, that they each get 50 bucks a week to just spend whatever the heck they want to spend. Um, And in their budget, that's $5,200 a year because there's two of them. Um, So you can decide what makes sense given your income and given what kind of savings you want to have. But um, if that sounds good to you, where you just have $50 a week where you could do whatever you want with it, or if you don't spend it that week, then the next week you get $100, you know, right? Or if you don't spend it for, or you have $200 a month or however you want to look at it, um, there are ways to be thinking about these little extras that you don't feel bad about it. Because the whole idea is not that you don't 
spend any money or do anything with your life. It's that you enjoy what you're doing and that you feel like you have things under control and that you're able to feel confident and good about the decisions that you're making with your money. So I would say that maybe starting there. Um, other things that you can do is just actually evaluate what your spending looks like. Um, maybe you don't necessarily like the idea of an allowance, but maybe you do like the idea of saying, hey, I can only spend X number of dollars at a drugstore every week or every month if that's some, somewhere that you find you're spending money. Or if you're like an Amazon shopper, some of my clients, we have specific Amazon budgets that's like, hey, if you're spending more than $500 a month on Amazon, um, and I know that might sound high for people who don't <laughs> don't live in New York, but um, if you're spending more than $500 a month on Amazon, you need to check in and say, hey, what's going on here? Um, And that I find in general, people who shop at these big superstores, right, it gets a little bit out of control because there are some things in your basket that are kind of, you know, wants, but um, they get piled in with the needs. Um, and then you don't really evaluate whether or not like everything that you're, you're spending in your cart, especially because you're not even wheeling a cart around anymore. Right. It's just like, you're just digitally putting things into a basket, um, that you are more likely to spend money. Whereas if you go to a store and you actually have to physically push the stuff around, or if you're clothing shopping, you actually have to like carry all the stuff in your arms and then plop it down on a, um, a counter, right. To pay for it. Those things like they're extra work. And when we have to do extra work, right, we have inertia and we don't like to work against inertia because it's like takes a lot of effort for us to like lift our butt off the couch to go do stuff, right? So if we could sit on the couch and just click a button and get something sent to our house, right, that's super easy. But if we have to get off the couch, carry all the clothes around, try it on, then go to the counter, plop it down on the counter, right? You could see <laughs> see where I'm going with this. If you're one of those people who feel like you're mindlessly spending online, it's time to stop spending online. Maybe it's time for you to get into a store and do your shopping. And then you'll realize that like, because there's work associated with it, you might end up doing less of it. Um, so that's another way to think about it. There are other ways online. I mean, I, I see all sorts of things about setting budgets and doing all these things. Um, I don't love that, to be honest. I think you don't need a budget for everything. I really don't think that. I think that everyone has like four, three to five categories, let's say an average of four, that you spend on consistently that you know are problems. (laughs) Um, Everyone has them. And you can admit to yourself whether like you can admit it's a problem. Right. I mean, like stop sticking your head underneath your pillow and take it out for a minute and really evaluate what it is that you're doing. Right. So for a lot of my clients, that's their kids. Right. Hands down. Everyone loves spending money on their kids because it's like, you know, hit a dopamine spending on others. Plus, you're obsessed with your children. Plus, your kids obviously need every enriching activity under the sun. Am I right? No, I'm wrong. They don't need that. <laughs> but anyways, right, there's there's categories. Um, health and fitness I see quite a bit. Uh, dining out is always a big thing for people. Coffees. I mean, I've seen coffee budgets in New York be as high as $4,000 a year, which is insane, by the way. Um, and yeah, we just like frivolously spend our money on things or and we don't even think about it. Um, Amazon is definitely a trap for people for sure. So if you're one of those people who you're an Amazon or a Target shopper or even a Walmart person, I don't know. I don't know who you are. But if you know that that's where you spend your money, then that's something to evaluate as a category and to specifically set a budget for that category and then stick to it. And like, it doesn't have to be so weird and uptight and crazy. Like you don't have to be like tracking every penny to the cent. Or if you're not the kind of person that like can keep track of it in your head, maybe just have it be like a little note on your iPhone or Android phone where, Hey, I already spent, you know, $25 here and $15 there and $35 here. And you add it up. 
I know you got to do a little math. Sorry about that. But you got to do it. And then you see how much it is that you're spending and whether or not that's a number that you like. So everything seems cheap when it's $29.99 and $13.95 and $14.99, right? But if you do that 100 times, <laughs> these things start to add up. So um, just a little bit of practical advice to look at some of those categories and really evaluate whether or not you like what you're doing in those categories, right? Like you might like your spending, but it might not like you. And what I mean by that is you might like it because it feels really good to be spending on these things, but it might not like you, meaning that your financial picture doesn't look good as a result of it. So you really need to determine whether or not what you're doing is what you want to be doing and whether or not it's serving you. Okay. Other examples of how to to do um, to budget really. Um, I've seen Dave Ramsey. He has like the envelope method. Um, I've actually never had a client use the envelope method. I find that people, my clients, they don't really like you know going to the bank and sticking money in different envelopes and you know then only spending money in the envelope. That said, if you are a person who really can't be trusted with a credit card, that's actually a really good route to go down. Um, I would say that's a great route to go down because like you just, you can't just willy nilly spend, right? As soon as the money is out of the envelope, that's it. You don't have any more. Um, so that might be a good thing for you, but that kind of gets back to the allowance thing. So maybe start with the allowance and if you're going over your allowance or you're not able to keep track of it, maybe then, you know, downgrade yourself to only using envelopes with cash. Um, and then the last thing I kind of wanted to address in this question, even though it wasn't in this question is about points on your credit card. Uh, I hear this quite a bit. I have clients always being like, hey, which credit card should I use? Or like random people asking me like how they can, you know, best optimize their points and everything else. I don't, I don't like that at all. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. I don't like that at all. Okay. So if you are the kind of person who thinks that you're going to spend money to get wealthy, like you need to really evaluate that thought. If you don't care whether or not you're getting wealthy, that's a totally other story. But if you really think that like your credit card points are going to like, you're going to like game the system and magically have more money. Like I don't, there's no amount of this podcast that's going to help you out of that, right? Like your points don't really matter. Essentially what is happening is that the credit card company charges your merchant 3% to do that transaction. You get 1% back and then they keep the difference, which is 2%. That's how they make their money. Okay, so they're incentivizing you to use the credit card so that you get 1% back. So you spend $100, you get a dollar back. You spend $1,000, you get $10 back, right? This is not huge money-making opportunities. <laughs> but they're incentivizing you because, you know, oh, well, you were going to spend it anyway, so you might as well get the points. Um, the merchant is paying for you to have the points in a way. And in fact, you are really paying for you to have the points because prices inevitably are higher as a result of people using lots of credit cards. So I don't... I don't want you to think about credit cards when you're thinking about these things. I don't want you to be even looking at that stuff. Yeah, it's great that you get cash back. You definitely should use your points because you get them um, and, you know, use them wisely or just put them towards your credit card balance. But um, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, if you're the kind of person who actually really needs something like the envelope method, like don't don't discount the envelope method because you want your credit card points because that's not how you're going to get wealthy. Like spending less is how you're going to get wealthy. <laughs> And making more money, obviously, too. Um, okay, so I hope that answers that question. And if it doesn't, you know, send me another one. All right, next question. Morgan, my husband runs a business. He had a bad year last year, and he didn't tell me. I was also in the process of starting my own business that year, so my income was next to nothing. I spent like I normally spend, but I didn't realize that we were significantly overspending due to the lack of income. And when I went to pay for parts of our daughter's wedding, I realized we were out of money. 
We're in significant debt now and we owe the IRS. I'm in crisis mode and I'm drowning. My husband and I also have a lot of emotions around this and are having trouble communicating. Please help us. All right. So this question is definitely more serious than a lot of the questions that we get on here. Um, this is crisis for sure. And I wanted to address it because it's really important that everyone get the financial help that they need. And if you're also somebody who is going through a financial crisis, hopefully parts of this question is something that could be applied to your financial situation. Um, and that said, let's just go through it. So the first thing is you have to you must communicate with your partner. So if you are in a relationship, there's a reason why you're in that relationship. It's because you love each other and you're on the same team. And there are going to be times in your relationship where you disappoint each other. And there are going to be times in your relationship where you anger each other. And there are going to be times in your relationship where things don't go the way that you wanted them to go, right? Because that's life. Life is messy. Life is a struggle. It's not supposed to be easy. It wasn't supposed to be handed to you. That's just not the way it is. And I know that because that's the way it is. <laughs> I know that sounds so crazy, but I mean, that's that's just the way that life is. So you got yourself into a situation because there was a lack of communication. And I just, I can't stress this more strongly than you need to communicate with your partner. And if you are in a situation right now where you feel like there isn't open communication, then you need to evaluate why. And... I know that you're probably going to take a shot of whatever because this is a drinking game, but it really does start with your thoughts. There's a reason why you're not communicating with your partner. Um, and I've had this with my husband for sure, where I've been like, I really don't want to share whatever piece of information because I feel scared or ashamed or of whatever his reaction is going to be to it. Um, but I check my ego and I you know, I really know that my husband and I are on the same team and there's a reason why we're married and it's because we love each other and we want to do things together. And money is part of that. Money is not separate for us. I uh, know plenty of couples where money is separate, um, but you're still, even if you don't have things in the same bank account or the same brokerage account, you're still a unit, you still have household expenses, and you're still doing things together. So all of that like ego and pressure and everything else needs to be put aside so that you are able to you know properly communicate with your husband or your wife, um, and even your kids for that matter, if they're old enough to understand some of these things. Communication is key. So how do you start that communication if you're not there? Um, I would say the best way to start it is to have kind of an icebreaker. <laughs> so, you know, like maybe if you're in a like very stressful financial situation, going out to dinner might not be the best way to do it. But having a dinner at home, you got to eat um, after the kids are asleep or after, you know, the dog is asleep. <laughs> um, light a candle and think of a couple of questions in advance that you want to ask your partner and just ask them. So I'll actually put this in the show notes. Um, you can get the show notes at moneyowners.com forward slash 20. And a good question that I like to have clients ask their spouses is just like a quick thing about, you know, what's what's the thing that you like to spend money on the most? That's always a question people like to answer. So it, like when you're ice breaking and you're saying something like that, um, you're getting your partner to talk about money, but you're not getting them to talk about something that's very deep. 
and something that might necessarily have a lot of emotions about it. Um, So, you know, get talking and then you should think of your answer as well. You should answer it. And then the next thing you might want to do is get a little bit deeper. So you could say, you know, like, what's something that you really want to save for that you'd be willing to spend less on? You know, that thing that you just mentioned that you like spending money on. What's something else that you really want to save for that you'd be willing to not spend maybe on that thing that you love spending money on? Um, And then that kind of gets you moving more towards goal related questions. Um, The other thing that you should know is like what your partner's relationship is or has been with money in the past. And maybe that'll help you both talk about like why it is it's so hard for you to communicate. I mean, you really need to be discussing, you know, like how it was growing up, what it was like with your parents. Did you talk about money at the dinner table? I love that question. I ask my clients that question all the time of like, did you talk about money at the dinner table? And what was your experience with it? And how did you learn about money? And what was like your first job like? You know, all of these things that they might be a great opportunity if you've been with your partner for a long time to like to learn new things about them that you didn't know before because money was always a taboo subject. Um, another thing that I like to have clients ask each other is like, what's their biggest mistake they ever made with money? Um, that like helps you open up and be a little bit vulnerable with your spouse and really can like facilitate conversations that are really hard about being in crisis mode. So whatever this couple is going through now, I mean, it's very obvious that like the husband didn't want to scare the wife about what was going on in his business and the wife for didn't have any questions about what was going on, um, you know, and, and they got themselves into the situation and now they're in debt. So communication is key, right? And you need to have your own language to talk about this. So the language that I'm going to give you is probably not the most authentic to you, but you can take these questions and you can think about them and you can think about how you want to phrase them in a way that makes sense and feels good to you and can get your partner talking. You know your partner better than me, right? I know my husband better than you do. So I know how to ask questions to him about these kinds of things that gets him talking. And he knows the same thing about me. Um, I mean, we have a different dynamic with money for sure. (laughs) You know, living with a financial planner is not all it's cracked out to be. I'm I'm sure Pierre could talk a lot about that. But, um, yeah, I really think that like that the communication part is, is just so key. And not only that, but like, if you're able to have these conversations about a topic that's so emotionally charged, then you're able to have conversations and get through anything. And that's the point of being together, right? Is that you're is that you're willing to and that you want to get through all of this stuff. So think of this more as an opportunity rather than a crisis, which I know it still is. So you know, I'm <laughs> in like um, I listen to Jocko podcast quite a bit, and he's always like, when things go awry, he's always like, good. Um, and by good, he means like this is an opportunity, like seize the day, stand up, be a leader and, you know, take charge of the situation and get your get your life back in order. Right. Um, I totally agree here. And while I know it's very hard and you're um, you're both emotionally suffering and you're financially suffering, it is an opportunity for you to grow as a couple. And it's an also an opportunity for you to really evaluate where you are right now and change. Um, and there's n- nothing like a good crisis to do that. Um, I think it was like Rahm Emanuel who said this back in, I think it was 2001. And he got a lot of flack for like never let a good, finan- um, never get a, let- no, no, not, sorry, not 2001, 2008. Never let a good crisis go to waste um, when the financials were like, you know, shitting the bed and everyone was going crazy. Um, and like Republicans jumped all over him about it because like, you know, how could they not? Um, it actually wasn't a quote from him. I think it was a quote from like Teddy Roosevelt back in the day, or I'm, I'm not even sure who, but um, 
the point is, is like that applies to your own life. Don't let this good crisis go to waste. Don't let this opportunity destroy you. Like get up and seize the day and let this opportunity define who you are as a human and who you are as a couple. Um, and then with that, I want to give you some practical advice about it. Um, not just the pep talk. <laughs> so, um, I get that you pay for parts of your daughter's wedding and you have some credit card debt and you have some IRS debt. So the number one thing is, is that if you can get your IRS debt under $50,000, um, right now in, in 2019, that's the number, um, they'll put you on an automatic payment plan. They won't look at your financials. Um, all of that is, I think honestly way better than what they would do. <laughs> if you are over the $50,000. So you didn't give me a number here, but hopefully you're under 50 grand. If you're not under 50 grand, do what you can to try to get from over 50 grand to under 50 grand. Um, the next thing is if you have some credit card debt, I mean, you start, need to start prioritizing what gets paid first. Um, there are a number of methods to do that. I like to pay the highest interest credit card first. I think that that makes the most sense, right? Because that's the way that you theoretically pay the least amount in interest. That said, like if the highest interest is actually the largest balance, sometimes getting more momentum actually does help you pay things off. So um, that might mean for you that the card with the lowest balance is the one that you pay off first to get some momentum and then you attack maybe the next one with the highest interest. Um, that's some ways to look at it. Where are you finding this money? <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that your income is in a better situation, but if it's not, I mean, you need to really, really, really evaluate your spending, um, and see what you could do. That might mean something very drastic for you, depending on how bad the situation is. I mean, that might literally mean that you need to move States. You need to completely change your lifestyle. Um, because if it's as bad as you're saying it is in in this question, then it might it might come to that. Um, if it's not that bad, right? If it's like you know, I just have twenty five grand in IRS debt, another twenty five grand in credit card debt. I mean, that's you still need to evaluate everything. It's still fifty thousand dollars in debt. It's still all high interest debt. Um, although IRS is not that high interest, but you don't really want to owe the IRS. <laughs> um, but I would say like, it's really important to evaluate your spending and see what you do and don't need. So for instance, if you have a bunch of debt and you have your kids in private school, um, and I know you don't maybe necessarily want to affect your kids' lives, but it might be a good time to think about whether or not that private school is really important to you or if you really want to live the way that you're currently living. Um, that's one thing. Or if you live in a really high cost of living area, it might make sense to move to a lower cost of living area, depending on whether or not you're able to move with your with your jobs and your business and everything else. Um, other things that you can do is downsize the um, the size home that you're in. So if you're in an apartment or a home, um, and you can downsize that to a smaller apartment or home to save some money. Um, anything you could do to change the high fixed expenses is the best way to go because that's going to move the needle the most versus like, yeah, I mean, if you're in a crisis, you're probably not dining out that much or going on vacations as it is. Um, those things, yes, you should still be evaluating what it is that you're doing in those categories, but it's not going to move like you saving a hundred bucks a week on dining out isn't going to move the needle as much as like, hey, I went from spending four thousand dollars a month on rent to two thousand dollars a month on rent, right? That frees up so much more money. Or um, I sold my car because I don't need it anymore. That frees up way more money than let's say just you know cutting out the coffee spend. Um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't evaluate those other spends, but it it is you know a more eye opening to change some of those fixed expenses if you can. If you can't do that for whatever reason, I mean, 
you really need to be evaluating what your priority is, right? Is your priority to actually get out of this debt or like how do you, how were you intending to handle it? Um, maybe you have some other assets. Maybe you do own your place and you're able to pull some equity out of your um, out of your home to pay off some of this debt. And yes, you're transferring debt to new debt, but maybe it's worth it if like your credit card interest is much lower. So all things to think about. Um, hopefully that helps you. And if it doesn't, you know, write in again and let me know. Okay, next question. Morgan, I want to be responsible and save for retirement, but I have no idea what that even looks like or means. What's appropriate for somebody my age? For some context, I'm 35, married with two young kids. We're not big spenders, but we likely want to pay for our kids' school at some point, um, meaning college. I actually followed up about this one. We don't know how much to put away inside and outside accounts. Thank you. I love the little thank yous at the end of these questions. They just really like, they put some cheer um, into my day. Anyway, so um, yeah, let's answer this question. So I love that. You want to be responsible? Fantastic. I want you to be responsible too. What does that look like? So I've done some math on this and to depends on really when you want to retire and what your spending looks like for sure. A good rule of thumb so if you're looking to be financially independent and reti be retired for a long period of time, the good rule of thumb for that is to calculate what you're spending now and then multiply it by 25 times, and that's how much you need for retirement. That doesn't mean how much you need to save today <laughs> for retirement, right? Because that's going to be a really big number. For instance, if you spend $100,000 a year, um, you need $2.5 million to retire, right? 25 times 100000 my pea brain is just going to use simple math to make this the numbers in this work. Anyway, so um, that's what I would say as far as like thinking about how much you need to have saved. That said, that's a very conservative number. So the safe withdrawal rate, I think we've mentioned it on this podcast before, um, is something that came out through the Trinity study and it was based on a 50-50 stock bond portfolio. Um, and basically what they did is they took rolling periods, um, from, I think it was from 1940 something onward, um, when they did the study and they basically saw, um, how to make the money last over a long period of time. What's the most amount of money that somebody could take out and have the money last basically through any rolling period in the stock and bond market. And what they came to the conclusion was, is that 4% withdrawal rate, which is 25 times your spending is sustainable over pretty much any market condition because markets, they recover over a period of time. And even though you would be taking out, let's say some in bad years, you would be able to recover in the good years. Um, and you would be fine. The the way that the safe withdrawal rate works is basically on December 31st of the year, you would calculate what the amount that you have in your accounts are. You would multiply that number by 0.04, which is 4%, and then you would be able to spend that amount for the year. So what that means is like, let's say you spend $100,000, you multiply that by 25, that's how much you need. That doesn't necessarily mean, though, that you'd only be able to spend $100,000 for the rest of your life. As the as your investments and your net worth changes over time, you'd be able to multiply that number by 0.04, and your spending rate would change. And the idea being that as the cost of living goes up over time, which it tends to do with inflation, you'd be able to spend more money over these years. That's a really 
a really high level overview of like the safe withdrawal rate. Um, that said, like in financial planning communities, we tend to use this 5.2% number when you, over shorter retirement periods. Um, and that's because like the safe withdrawal rate is really meant to be there for a very long retirement periods. So if you're one of these people who you're eating peanut butter jelly now and you're parking away 80% of your income and you want to retire at 35, you absolutely cannot spend more than 4%. <laughs> If you are somebody, though, who has worked your whole life, you get much fulfillment out of everything that you do, and then you decide to retire at the nice age of 70, your retirement period is going to be much smaller, Um, and in which case you actually can spend more than the 4% withdrawal rate. When you're doing that, though, you probably should have a plan and be working with a financial planner and still making sure that the numbers make sense because you should also maybe consider health events later on in life and everything else. So um, the 5.2% number is something that we talk about, but it's not always the number that we use for clients. And that really is very situationally dependent um, and everything else. In the meantime, though, if you're 35, what can you do today? So if you want to be retiring um, by let's say 55, you really need to be saving 22 and a half percent of your income or more. I don't know how much you have saved, but let's say you have zero dollars in the bank today, saving 22 and a half percent of your income um, between now and 20 years from now, will you will be able to retire in 20 years. Um, that's just the way it is. I don't want to get into the major details of why. Um, I did write a blog post about this though, and maybe I can link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say that's something to think about, but in the meantime, like it does make sense to be putting at least 10% away into retirement accounts. Um, and that's just because like you get tax deductions for these things. You probably have a plan through work. There's probably a way for you to get a match through your employer. Um, it's a good idea to be putting around 10% away into retirement. Um, and if you are thinking about saving that 22 and a half percent number, then you can be thinking about whether or not you want to save more towards retirement. Um, or if you want to be saving more towards other goals outside of the accounts. So the thing that I, I hate to see happen with clients is they put so much into their retirement accounts that they literally have no savings outside of their retirement accounts. And usually this happens, this especially I see happen with small business owners because you want to take advantage of every single deduction that you possibly can. And the big deduction that um, that accountants always like to throw out there is like, hey, uh, you can put away <laughs> up to $55,000 if you have a small business retirement plan, you can have a solo 401k plus a profit sharing plan. You can park all this money away and take a deduction, right? People people love that because they're like, hey, great. I pay the IRS less and I save for me more. Great. And now I have all this money that's saved for me in retirement and I, and I like, you know, knock 10 grand off my tax bill or whatever it is, depending on your tax rate. That's great. Um, but it's a problem if that's the only place that you're saving. So I see this happen quite a bit where a client comes to me and they have all their money in a 401k plan or whatever other plan that they have. And they literally have like 20 grand in the bank. (laughs) Um, and they're like, and I have all these other goals. Like I want to go buy a house and and you, and you have all this money basically parked away in your retirement account. Um, that doesn't help you. So these are things that you need to be thinking about when you're deciding how much you want to save inside and outside a retirement account. Um, a good number to always shoot for for savings is at least 20% of your income. So if um, you are married, you should take your income plus your spouse's income, multiply that by 0.2 and see how much you should be saving. That's a pre-tax income number, right? 20, 20% is a great place to start um, and or or land on. Uh, 
typically in my practice, though, I see people saving around 24%, 25% is usually the number in my practice. Um, and that's because I try to get my my clients in a place where they can achieve greatness. Um, but you need to be saving at least 10% for sure. Um, and you should be thinking about saving 20%. And honestly, if you have goals later on of starting a business or um, paying for certain things for your children or you want to buy a house, or you want to buy a boat, or whatever it is that you want to buy, and you have this goal in mind, right, then maybe you need to be saving more than that, right? Because like, your house is a consumption item, the boat is a consumption item, right? The wedding that you want to pay for for your kids later on is a consumption item. All of these things are not things that are really investments, even though some people consider them to be. So um, I would say like, from that perspective, yeah, you have to be thinking about like what makes sense. Um, and really, if you have a lot of questions about it, you should consult a financial planner. But I would say that the 10% in retirement accounts is a good place to start and then be thinking about outside of retirement accounts, what else you can save. If you can only save 10% a year, that's when you really need to start evaluating either your spending or if you are fine with saving only 10% a year, deciding how much of that should go into a retirement account versus not. So um, I would say that you definitely want to start with your employer match. Um, I've seen employer matches get really crafty, though, where they really try to get people to put away at least 8% of their salary to get the whole match, um, which I found to be really interesting. But if your employer is just one of those places where if you you know put 4%, they match it, um, then I would say at least take advantage of the match um, in that regard and then save outside of the account. If your employer is one of these places that have gotten really crafty to try to get you to save more in your retirement account, but that's not really going to work for you, then at least try to get as much of the match as you can. So like it, take advantage of the low-hanging fruit. Um, so for instance, if like you're not going to get the 4% match unless you put 8% in, right? but you'll get the 2% match if you put 4% in, then you know, take advantage of the 2% match when you can. Um, start saving outside your retirement account. And then as income grows or whatever else, spending changes or however you want to manage it, then you can go back and reevaluate. Um, people are under this impression that during open enrollment, that's the only time that you can change your 401k contributions. And that is not the case. You can do them all year. You can literally change it every single day if you wanted to. I don't think that's what you should be doing with your time. But I do think that if you're one of these people who you're like, I'm not really sure, you could always adjust it. So go in there, learn about your um, your firm's, like the company that you're working for, learn about their HR portal, click around, see what you can do. I would say like start high. And if it doesn't feel good and you're not able to pay for things, then cut it back. But at least you know that you're trying to save and do the right thing. Um, so yeah, that's how I would approach it. That's how I like to approach it for clients. I like them to be thinking about that 10% number in their retirement accounts. That's why it's away and it's stored there and it's there for you in the future. And it's something you can touch when you're 59 and a half or older. Um, but if that's not something that's an option to you, then, you know, you should think about how you want to save. Um, the other thing is like, think about what those goals are. So if you do want to pay for part of your kid's school, you need to just decide how much of your school's uh, your kids schooling that you want to pay for and, um, how much of your savings actually needs to go to that. Um, keep in mind, I mean, I don't, I don't love the idea that your kids would take out student loans, but you can take out a student loan. You can even take out one of these parent plus loans for your kids. Right. But it's really hard to take out a loan for retirement unless you also own a property You're doing a reverse mortgage. There are ways around it for sure. There are always ways around it, but it's a little different and less easy of an access to capital for you to have <laughs> um, some money in retirement. So all things to be thinking about when you are saving. I hope that answers your question. If it doesn't, reply to me again and let me know. All right, next question. Morgan, I'm having trouble coming up with true financial goals. 
I think it's truly hindering me from being who I want to be and what I want to achieve. I don't feel a sense of urgency to save because I haven't really determined what I want that to be yet. The more I listen to your podcast, the more important this seems. How do I figure out what I want? All right. I also love this question. (laughs) That's why I picked it. Um, So I love it because directionlessness is very hard. Um, I sometimes see this with clients where like they feel like they need a little bit more direction in their lives. And we sit down and we do questionnaires and all sorts of things to get clients thinking about what it is that they want in their lives. But sometimes it's really hard if you haven't really just sat with yourself. Um, I'm not trying to bring up anything religious, but I've been getting into this idea of um, Musar. I heard this podcast on it um, in Judaism Unbound. And this guy was talking about the idea of Musar. And basically, it's like Jewish self-help, which I find to be kind of funny. Um, But the idea behind it is like learning to love yourself. Um, And you do this by working on different aspects of your personality and and really focusing on them for two weeks at a time to be the person that you want to be. And a lot of what this podcast is all about is essentially that. Um, It's getting you to think about who you want to be in your life. And then because you're able to do that, because you have these goals and things in mind, that you then can strive towards something and you're able to, to work towards it and, you know, delay gratification and put some money away so that you can get where you want to be. That's the whole point of this. So I don't know what that looks like for you. I think sometimes it might even help to look at what other people are doing. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do what other people are doing. But, you know, I without much more context on who you are as a person, I mean, you can start with like what it is, how you want your career path to look, how much money you think you can make in this lifetime, um, what you want your career path to look like, who you want to work for. Um, Do you want to run your own business or do you like working for a company? What kind of company is it that you either want to build or want to work for, right? All of these things are really good places to start because um, it takes you down a path of deciding who you want to be in the workforce. And then who do you want to be outside of the workforce? Do you want to be married? Do you want to have children? If you want to be married and have children, do you want to live in a certain way with the with your family? Or do you want to be single and live a single lifestyle, right? And all the things that come with that. Are you the kind of person that wants to take vacations? Do you want to travel the world? Or do you not care about that stuff? Um, I think there are a million routes that you can go down to think about who it is that you want to be as a person and how you can set up financial goals. Um, but it really starts with looking within and looking at who you are as a person right now and what it is about yourself that you love and how, why you love it. And then what it is about yourself that you want to change and what you need to do to get there. What do you need to do to change? Right? Like, so for me, I've been working on this quite a bit. I find that sometimes I don't have as much patience as I'd like to have. Uh, especially with my son, I have a 17 month old and I want to be the most patient person that I possibly can. And sometimes that gets away from me, right? Because my son is screaming about something or I have, you know, things going on in the back of my head while I'm taking care of him, or I am juggling a million things. Like I'm trying to cook and clean and take care of him at the same time. And then my fuse gets shorter and shorter. And I've noticed that in the process of working on patience for him, that is translated to other parts of my life as well. So why am I bringing this up? <laughs> you asked about financial goals and I'm telling you that you sh- I should be more patient with my son. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you this, right? Because there's a way for you to look inward and decide what it is that you want to work on when it comes to yourself um, and looking within to, to really decide who you want to be as a person. And like for my family, it's always meant that we are together as a unit. I am a huge proponent of my family, of of being in a family, of having a family. I want to have more than one child, um, maybe 
three kids, two kids. We're not really sure about that yet, but we want to have that family lifestyle. We want to, you know, graduate to a larger space. We want to be able to do things for our kids, um, but we also want to make sure that they're independent and that they learn to grow up and see who they want to become in this life. And I don't want to impress that upon them. So I want to also be somewhere where my kids are able to do that, where they can kind of be free range children. Right. So you have to think about what it is that you want in your life and then take it to the desired conclusion. So I don't know what that looks like for you. Um, but like in my head, right. With, with like my husband and I having a family, it means that we're going to buy a house and hopefully we have a yard. And then hopefully I can let my kids like run around in that yard outside without me being a helicopter parent around them. So it probably isn't going to take place in New York, right? <laughs> because I grew up in New York and my parents were all over me because it's dangerous here. Right. So I, that's not like the conclusion that I want to have with my kids. And therefore I need to save for that kind of a goal where we can buy a house with a yard. Right. So things like that, where you just need to teach. Keep taking it down and keep asking yourself why and what's next and why you want that and where you want that to go. And just keep taking it until it's logical conclusion until you have that financial goal. And I promise you, if you're willing to sit with your thoughts and be there for yourself and be present, you will find out what that is. And don't shy away from it. Don't like take out your phone and start scrolling through Instagram. Like don't, don't shy away from being, from finding out who you want to be. All right. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Money Owners. Um, if you like it, please give me a five-star review on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate it. If you want to have a question of your own answered on Money Owners Podcast, you can shoot me a DM at money underscore owners or at Morgan with an E Rochard. You can also find me on my website, www.moneyowners.com forward slash ask Morgan with an E. I know my parents spelled my name wrong. <laughs> Um, next week, uh, or in two weeks, excuse me, and we'll go back to a regular scheduled program. I have a bunch of really exciting topics that, um, I'm, I'm, I just can't wait to share with you and, um, yeah, thanks y'all. And I'll see you in two weeks. Mm -hmm.